0: Hey everybody, this is Aaron. Just a quick note before we get going on the show. uh, This week's episode is going to have a little more uh, profanity or potentially offensive uh, material in it from clips that we're going to be playing. So um, if that's a problem, please uh, go ahead and skip this episode and check out our backlog or wait for us next week. Thanks so much for listening.
1: listening to Think Funny with Aaron Donnelly, Nate Sadler, and Matt Donnelly. For show notes and to check out Aaron's books, please visit aarondonnelly.com. And now, the show that only thinks it's funny, the Think Funny Podcast. (laughs)
0: Welcome to the Think Funny podcast. This is Aaron Donnelly. I'm here with my co host Nate Sadler. Hey, everybody. And Matt Donnelly. Happy birthday, guys. Yeah. So it's me and Nate's uh, birthday, February 11th. Uh, so Share the same birthday along with Thomas Edison and Leslie Nielsen. Good company. Yeah. Uh, did anybody do anything for you at work, Nate? Did they put up balloons or streamers or anything? Nope. <laughs>
2: nothing? <laughs> no. Wow. Nothing.
3: Yeah.
0: No. <laughs> Well, you guys, everything else happened this week in your
2: lives? Well, I was just thinking, you know, back on the sports, if we go back to the sports uh, yeah. section. Um, what are we going to call was- this
0: little uh, section, Matt? Matt Donnelly's sports roundup? Matt sports
3: Donnelly's ass slapping sports action. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it was the big trade deadline for the yeah. NBA. And uh, not surprisingly, uh, Dion Waiters got traded. Now, Dean Waiters mm-hmm. got traded and then waived, which is a pretty popular move by NBA teams. Uh, but he got suspended three times this year. First time, he got in, he got in an argument with the coach during practice. Uh, second time, he overdosed on on marijuana gummies on, on a flight yeah. and had a panic attack and they had to land the plane early. <laughs> oh, man. And the third time, he called in sick. I don't know how you call in sick as a professional <laughs> athlete, but he called in sick. <laughs> <laughs> and it was his birthday, and then he posted on Instagram him like chilling on a boat on his birthday. So like, he got better, Matt. Yeah, he got better. But then I was That's- thinking, you know, the trade deadline is is just being traded as an athlete. It's kind of weird. So I was thinking, you know, what if what if you could trade people at work? Like if you're a supervisor, how, how awesome would that be? Oh yeah. god,
3: it would be. I'd trade. It'd be like <laughs> for a ba- for a box <laughs> of sporting goods, ba- baseballs.
2: That'd <laughs> <laughs> uh, be awesome. And, and, and or if you could trade people in your family, I agree with that. That's be interesting.
0: Too? Yeah, you could trade Aunt Geraldine and two future babies born in the decade of the 2020s. That's right. <laughs> and
2: cash. You always have cash consideration. So yeah. if you get a real dud, you got to got to throw in you know some heavy cash.
0: Something else I was going to think that I thought about this week. And it was, I was thinking about it was the first memory I'd ever had about making fun of something. And I think that's an important memory. Jenny made like these croissants. And so I started singing hot cross buns. And then the memory came back to me of being in kindergarten and with the recorder. Oh, uh, yeah. And this teacher playing and singing hot cross buns. And it's one a penny, <laughs> two a penny hot cross buns and i remember thinking how stupid it was and she was there and she had these tan like slacks with like this giant paunch in the front and (laughs) playing the recorder and it was the first time in my life where i was like i really hate what's happening right now this is so i want to make fun of this there's an urge to make fun of something powerful memory
3: that song i think tore up the charts in the (laughs) early 1400s
0: All right, well, this week we're going to honor one of my comedy heroes and the hero for a lot of people, uh, Larry David larry davis give a quick background most people probably know who he is now co-creator of seinfeld with jerry seinfeld probably the driving force maybe in brains behind seinfeld him and jerry are kind of considered like the lennon and mccartney of comedy like jerry's more of a positive happy outgoing guy and larry's more introspective there's jewish uh, yiddish words to describe him but there's
3: a there's a neuroticism to larry yeah. david that i just
0: love yeah um after that he left seinfeld two years before the show ended and then um Two years after it ended, he started uh, *Curb Your Enthusiasm* on HBO, which is now in its tenth season, uh, and it's actually been twenty years that it's been on the air because he doesn't do a season every year; he takes breaks between seasons sometimes. So, Larry David, in my opinion, is great because he is authentic. He's a he's an authentic comedy figure. He's vulnerable. And I even had, I had a dream the other night and we were talking about him and everybody was like, Oh, he says all the things that people want to say, but can't. And I remember in the dream, I stood up and said, no, that's not right. He says the things that people don't even know they want to say Mm. because they haven't been authentically comedically authentic in their lives. It's, they don't even know that they want to say it. And so when they, they hear him say something or see a clip on curb, it makes them cringe because it's that, Oh, I think there's some awareness maybe in your subconscious of something you'd like to say, but you still don't know it yet. And it's presented to you and it makes you cringe. That's my theory on him. Lived a life where he didn't care about being famous or being a having a job necessarily, being a big comedy writer. He he was himself and true to his conviction of what he thought was funny the whole time, and that's reaped benefits for everyone else on his behalf.
4: Somewhere in those first eight episodes, they wrote a scenario where George got into a situation which I thought was completely unlikely, and then reacted to it in a way that I thought was for writing purposes only, because no human being would do this. And I went to Larry after the table read, and I said, Larry, please help me. First of all, this wouldn't happen to anybody, but if it did, no one would react like this. And Larry looked at me and went, What are you talking about? This happened to me? This is exactly what I did. And that was when the bell went off in my head, and I went, oh, jeez. He's George. He's George. He's writing George. That's when I got introduced to the Larry David notebooks, where almost everything, some element of every story we did on Seinfeld came out of something that happened to him.
5: I'm a comic. I have comic brain. It just works in a certain comedic way. I read those outlines, and I have no idea how he got there it's transcendent. I I read them and I, and I think, I I don't know how he put this to, I can't even figure it out. His brain works in a different way. His brain works in a way that, and I think that's what genius is. It's transcendent. You can't, you cannot, you can't know how Mozart got those notes Mm -hmm. together. He heard something that nobody else heard. And I think that that's what Larry does. He, Here's something that nobody else hears, and it's very, very original and unique.
0: And he doesn't do a lot of interviews. He talks a little bit about his past. He's actually not super comfortable talking about his childhood or anything. He doesn't really talk about it. because So he grew up in New York City. He's 73 now, or 72. Grew up in uh, the Bronx, I guess, and in this apartment building where, you know, aunts and uncles, he said, were always coming in and out. Everybody lived in the same building. He said, I wasn't. I didn't consider that I was funny. No one ever said you're funny when I was growing up. He said, "I only when I went to college, people started laughing at all these things I was saying, and that's when I thought, well, maybe I am funny, and I guess it never occurred to me before then."
2: Yeah, because he went to Maryland, University yeah. of Maryland, so mm-hmm. he's out of he's out of New York City, and he's in a different environment where people pro- he probably stuck out as being different. I was raised to think that there was I couldn't do anything. You know, <laughs> don't
6: don't get your hopes up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one day. I remember one time I my, uh, I was asked in front of my mother, w- w- you know, w- what I might want to be. I said, gee, I really like sports. Maybe if I could be a sports announcer. She goes, You're not special. You're not going to be a sports <laughs> announcer. <laughs> you know, she she wanted me to be a mailman. Really, that, that was her dream. <laughs> so being being a comedian didn't occur to me. Then I got out of college and um, my friend's wife kept saying, you know, you're funny, why, why aren't you doing stand-up comedy? Because I was floundering. I went to watch a night of comedy and as I'm watching it I'm going, Jesus, I th- you know what, I think I could do this. Yeah. And in the middle of the show I walk up to Bud Friedman, who's the manager of the club, the owner of the club, and I say, uh, I'd like to go on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like how insane is that? I want to go on, I have nothing, okay? I've never been on a stage. I want to go on. Thank God, he said, who are you? (laughs) No, of course not, you can't go on. You got to audition. I go, okay, so then I wrote some material and uh, I started trying to do it. Before I did Seinfeld, I was very bleak. I would wake up in the morning and my first thought in my head was, oh no. You know oh i gotta go through this now <laughs> no, no, what, another what, day another no, day yeah way <clears throat> but once seinfeld started all those thoughts were were gone so,
0: yeah so he he started doing stand-up wasn't successful uh but it just kind of got to be known as a comedian's comedian like people liked to comedians like to watch him but audiences didn't really like him after that he got a writing gig on a show called fridays which is was in another
3: i think it was an abc short-lived it was supposed to compete with like snl type thing like a late night because i think they had a few decent music acts on it that's the only reason i've ever even heard of fridays
0: yes he was a writer for that show and then also was on it there's some old videos you can see a couple of them online after that fridays got canceled and SNL offered all the writers on Friday's jobs at SNL if they wanted them. And Larry and some other guy took it. And so then he went on to a season of SNL. Um, I think in '84, uh, he, he famously you know quit and went back to his and he goes as I was walking out and walking down the sidewalk and considering all the money I was walking away from, and then my neighbor at the time, who was the basis for Kramer and Seinfeld, told me just to walk back in on Monday and act like I didn't quit. And so he did that and he stayed the rest of the season there uh, on SNL so yeah he lived uh, he lived in a place called manhattan plaza which was a federally subsidized housing complex in in manhattan for artists so it was federally subsidized housing for artists and for comedians and stuff like that lived across the hall from this guy named kenny kramer who became the inspiration for for uh, kramer on seinfeld I, actually i saw this video one time and i don't know where i found it but they were going to do a talent show at the manhattan plaza <laughs> And he was afraid to do it because he thought the superintendent would find out that he's not really a good comedian, and they'd kick him out of the building because he didn't deserve to be there.
6: I think I'm going to do very well tonight. I really do. <laughs> i feeling just unbelievably confident. Well, that was a bad start. It was a bad start. <laughs> really the thing about uh, Hitler that I admire is that he wouldn't take any shit from magicians. You know? <laughs> I was a big big fan of magic and uh <laughs> hitler would go to a uh he'd go to a magic club and he'd watch the show and uh afterwards he'd go he'd go backstage to talk to the magician he'd go it was a wonderful show uh and i was just uh, wondering i was talking to my friend where's the rabbit <laughs> I'm sorry, my Fuhrer. Uh, I'm really glad you enjoyed it, but we're really not allowed to to tell about the secrets. You know, they're their tricks. But not allowed. Yes, yes, I understand. You're not allowed to tell, but just tell me, where's the rabbit? Uh, <laughs> my Fuhrer, it's a really, it's a union thing. We just, <laughs> where is the rabbit? <laughs> you will tell me where's the rabbit where is now. Must have been very very stressful to have grown up living next door to Jonas Salk's mother, I would imagine. <laughs> you know, you got this woman and, uh, you know, every day same thing. A cell, did I, uh, did I happen to mention uh, that my son Jonas uh, who your little Stevie never let play in the games or stuck him in right field who never went out with the girls and wasn't athletic did I happen to mention uh, Daddy he discovered the cure for polio! My little Jonas! Polio, he's mine! I love him! My Jonas! The closest I ever came to death is when I masturbated with 104 degree temperature. I was, I had the flu and I was sweating. I, I, I was under the covers. I was, I was shivering. And the sweat was coming down and, and i i, I couldn't even raise my arm hardly and and all of a sudden it started like to drift down and i'm dying here and the next thing i know boom 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 you know and then oh my god I, I thought i was dead i saw the white light i started drifting toward the white light and then there's my uncle going oh my god you're disgusting out what the hell is that with you? this is actually a great time for me to cheat on my wife because of that whole Clinton scandal. you know, Because she was such a staunch supporter of the guy that, you know, well, what is she going to say? <laughs> I could do whatever I want, come on. Does Clinton actually think that he's going to get blowjobs from a Jew and uh, get off scot-free? <laughs> what was he going to do? The guy never got, obviously, was never with a Jew before. He thinks he's going to get blowjobs? Blowjobs! of a jewish woman and that's gonna be the end of it no consequences what is it crazy
0: yeah after that uh i think he just kind of drifted a little bit he wrote a movie didn't really work out and then he wrote some jokes for carol i forget her name she was a writer on seinfeld yeah he didn't have any money to get her birthday present so he wrote her some jokes and at her birthday party jerry read the jokes and jerry like killed with the jokes that he that Larry had written.
7: I got big laughs reading this routine and it was kind of the first time that I thought his material really works well with my voice and maybe we would be a good team.
0: Jerry and Larry knew each other. I don't think they were that close, but they knew each other just from being comedians. And then, uh, so Jerry approached Larry about, because Jerry was offered a sitcom pilot with NBC.
6: We left Catch Rising Star and we walked into
7: a Korean grocery store. And, uh, We were getting something to eat and uh, making fun of all these uh, different items they have here. And we started,
6: as we invariably did, talking about some of the products in the store.
7: You know, there's always these things here, like uh, here's some uh, Korean ginseng royal jelly. Comes in a jelly now, so you can spread it. It occurred
6: to me that this is the kind of discussion that you never really hear on television. And that, that would,
7: in fact, would be funny. And Larry said, this is what the show should be. I said, what? He said, just, you know, making fun of stuff. I go, yeah, that's the show.
0: I kind of wanted to talk about the importance of Seinfeld, maybe in our lives and in, and in culture.
3: It's just that so much of the language of that show is still in the, like, lexicon of people. Right. Like, people still use Seinfeld references all the time, and that show's been off the air forever. I mean, you hear a lot of movie quotes, but how often do you hear a TV show quote?
7: Hello! So we go into NBC, we tell them we got an idea for a show about nothing. Exactly. They say, what's your show about? I say nothing. But there you go. I think you may have something here. <laughs>
4: Who wants to have some fun?
7: Well, let's start the insanity. Vandalay, mm, Vandelay,
4: Vandelay. Shut up. Vandalay, Vandelay, Vandelay. Yeah, yeah. van 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 Wet and wild. Vandelay, Vandelay, Vandelay. Dolores. The sea was angry that day, my friends. Super terrific carpal tunnel syndrome.
1: Stella! Sorry, the card says moops. A bird ran into my giant freak head. I got jiggy
7: with it. I broke the covenant of the keys.
1: I am speechless. I am without speech.
4: Oh, I got the ball. That is one magic loop. The surprise blindfold greeting. (laughs) That wasn't in the manual. A coffee table book on coffee tables. Hello, Newman. Is
1: it possible I'm not as attractive as I think I am?
4: Boy, these pretzels are making me thirsty. I'm gonna need some water here. Maybe the
1: dingo ate your baby.
4: Yo, yo, mom. Little Jerry is a lean, lean, mean pecking machine. I'm speechless. I have no speech.
7: Yo. Yo,
4: oh, anything
7: wrong with that. oh, I'm looking right at you, Big Daddy. She had man hands. You're an anti dentite You're a massage teaser. So he's Bizarro Jerry. That is one tough monkey.
1: He's a regifter. He's a real bounder. He's a real side one. He's a limbo.
7: She's one of these low talkers. A long talker.
1: A high talker. A close talker.
7: Yeah, yeah, I am
1: that man. <laughs>
4: well, now
7: we're getting
3: somewhere.
4: He's short. He's stocky. I am Costanza. Lord. The
3: I love it because it's just a you're taking something so mundane that could happen to anyone right. and turning it into something hilarious. You know, right. there's not a big setup. It's not some uh, big MacGuffin. It's just something that could r-
2: actually happen to anyone. It's just amazing that they were able to pull it off just within the confines of a sitcom just because it's so structured. You, you know that, Aaron, from writing, um, mm-hmm. you know, writing some uh, screenplays of, of sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that they they don't have the freedom to to just uh, you know talk at will.
0: Yeah, they really changed the structure of the sitcom as well. Prior to Seinfeld, it rep- Seinfeld represented like an evolution in sitcoms, and even I think somewhat in how humor worked. There was always in sitcoms there was this like a foundation that was sort of sacred that the show didn't that always protected above everything else. So in the '50s, it was like a family unit. Uh, that was focused around. Then in the 70s, it started to get into like the workplace to some degree. And then in with the 80s, you got Cheers that, that had more like the friends around the bar. But there was always this protected, sacred foundation of a thing that was protected around the show. But with Seinfeld, there's no, there's no meaning. There's no nothing. They're not trying to protect a structure or foundation. the The foundation in the structure is based is comes from The inside out and it comes from just comedy and it just sustains the show just from the structure of just comedy like there's no other meaning like if you look at it's jerry and larry famously on their door of writing seinfeld the office they had in latin and i don't know what the latin words are but it says no hugs no learning and it was absolutely funny first and that was it that was important to them and that was a shift away from the previous structures that were sort of depended upon. At the time, as as we were all being
4: greeted with these scripts, we were, we, Julia, and well, Ju- certainly Julia and I, would scratch our heads and go, what's going on here? You know, this is really strange. They would write me a conflict that was heated and never resolve it. And I went, I'd go, Larry, you've got to, resolve this. He said, it's not funny after that. I go, well, but you can't, the character. And he went, it's not about characters. It's about funny.
0: And, and, and that was like, "What this guy's from another planet. I heard Jerry uh, in an interview in the 80s, it was before he was even really famous. And he was, this guy was trying to get him to say, oh, well, all the comedians have some kind of background, like you're either, in, that you base your comedy on. You're either Jewish, you're African-American, you're a woman, you're overweight or whatever. Uh, except for you. And Jerry's like, well, I just like jokes. I like the structure of jokes. And that is what I'm attracted to. And I love that. I love that about him and Larry. And Jerry says, I'm more concerned with the mortar than the bricks situation.
3: That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. You can see that in that show. It's just the, it's the mundane stuff that's funny. It's not the overarching big point of the show of that episode that's funny. It's just a little minutia.
4: Now, I had the the great good fortune of being in comedy boot camp, uh, being on on Seinfeld uh, for a few years and watching Larry David craft a joke like a surgeon and Jerry and Jerry and he working together like it, talking in a language you can't really understand unless you're on the inside. And I was able to be watching that tennis match between them and going, oh, my God, they're the timing and care, it's like a souffle. It's that delicate. You could crush a joke or you can lift it just by the way it's delivered or the timing.
7: And I honestly don't know, and I, I wouldn't even ask him, how much... Uh, I know what he would say. I would, say I, would, I would ask him, how much of the show did you really want to do? And he would probably say the pilot. But uh, I'm sure he's glad that uh, he went past that. Jerry is
3: the one who made the announcement that Larry wouldn't be coming back and, um, and that I think, I think it was at that same time he said that we would be coming back, however.
7: I have such funny feelings about it because uh, at this, as, as much as I felt kind of hurt and upset, because I loved working with him and felt that we had this great chemistry that was uh, so magical, Um, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. He he really gave me a chance to uh, do the thing that I'm most proud of, which is that I I learned how to do it really under him all those years. I look back on it now as the greatest gift among many gifts that he gave me, was he kind of pushed me out of the nest at the very end to do the thing on your own. You can do it. Even though I don't know if uh, he thought that that's what I was going to do, but that is the way it worked out, and uh, um, you know, so I'm always grateful to him for that, that uh, he gave me that last step of growth. And then when the show was over, I really felt like, well, you know, uh, I, I went from really nothing to something.
6: The weirdest feeling I had was, was when uh, it was in August. It was the day they were filming the, fir- the first show without me, that day. And I was, I had an office in Castle Rock. And I'm sitting there in my office by myself and uh, I'm trying to write this movie and there's nobody to talk to and I'm sitting there by myself and I'm going, Geez, they're doing the first show, did I? Boy, they're all getting ready now and oh my God, look at me, what have I done? (laughs) I'm sitting here by myself. I should be with my friends over there. What am I doing here? Am I I crazy? What did you do, you stupid idiot? How could you have left that show to sit here by yourself and write this? What what are you, nuts? And I just kept berating myself, and then I got like very depressed that night, you know, and then they were filming, and a few hours later they started to film. And I'm thinking they're filming right now. I'm here. How could they do that? How dare they do that? You know? And then I started to get mad that they were doing it. And then periodically, I, w- I would go there that, that year to, uh, to do Steinbrenner. It was a, such a weird feeling, even you know, driving through the gate, um, Larry David, you know. Oh, hold on! You know they're calling up to see if I can see if I can get into the studio. You don't understand. You see that show? I created that thing. I left after the uh, seventh season of Seinfeld. They did two more years without me. Then I came back and I did the final episode. Then I did a movie. And after the movie, I was thinking, well, what am I going to do next? I was at Castle Rock. Jeff Garland was working on a pilot, and I would see Jeff from time to time, and, and he one day said to me, what are, you, what are you doing? And I said, I think I'm going to go back and do some stand-up. And he said to me, well, you should film it. I said, get, get out of here. That's a, that's a terrible idea. Larry! Let me ask you a question. Who do you think has more freedom, the, the married man in America or the single man in Communist China? I gotta go for the single guy and come here to China. I'm proud to say, Curb Your Enthusiasm is one of the funniest shows ever on
0: television.
4: You're, You're looking breasts. at my girlfriend's breasts. They're not breasts.
6: They're, they're not breasts. They're just big chemical balls. The okay?
0: show took off because I think the
4: cast really felt they were involved in something really good, whether they admit it or not.
6: I meant beloved, beloved Anne, not
1: beloved Larry. <laughs> Larry, I think you should just leave. I just adore Larry and he can't make it. You sick fuck Larry David. You sicko fucko asshole.
5: It was just this kind of, hey kids, let's do a show in the barn kind of show in the beginning.
4: Oh my God, it's a hooker. The legacy's been there since his first
6: season. The legacy is a fact now. I think I'm adopted. I might be adopted. I, th- I, th- I think I'm adopted. I I could be adopted. This is a sad day for the Golden Globes. (laughs) It is, however, quite a good day for Larry David. I suspect the wife will be a little forthcoming tonight.
0: I have a theory, and it's probably not. It's not correct exclusively, but I think it is correct in a general way. And that's I don't find a lot of women like curb your enthusiasm. Have you guys found this to be true at all?
2: <laughs> yeah, I found that to be true. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I've tried with uh, in the past, not not necessarily now, but in the past with uh, people I've been dating, and no, that it, it didn't work. It's not like you sit down on a Sunday night and watch it together. Isn't
3: there is like, an episode based on? Uh, Like he's in a play or something and he's distracted by the lady's uh, large breasts.
0: (laughs) The sign language lady off to the side had large breasts and was distracting the crowd and he didn't like it. Yeah. Um, But it's something, and I don't think this is exclusive. I think there are definitely women that like the show, but in some ways... I don't know, this is probably wrong, but I think even evolutionarily speaking, women, the structure of society and societal norms is very important, just as a necessity of all getting along. And Larry David is very much not about structure of societal norms. He's pragmatic and selfish on small things. So if something makes sense, he will do it. If it doesn't make sense, he will not do it and not do it selfishly at the expense of others. And I think that's there's something irritating about that.
6: People are disturbed by it. My ex-wife hated it. I think that's one of the reasons we, we our marriage ended. She couldn't take the way you eat. You know, because I stopped drinking coffee. Right. And she hated it. I said, I said, what do you care? I had tea in the cup. Yeah. She said, well, we can't even share coffee in the morning anymore. I said, but there's something in my cup. What? You can't see it in my cup. I'm still sipping. There's still steam coming out of it. Right. What's the difference?
7: But I'm afraid your wife has a bit of a point.
6: Really? Yes. There's a point? Look, I can talk just as well holding this
7: cup as if there were coffee in it. What's the difference? You want to know the difference? Yeah, I do. We go to an ice cream shop. I get a cone. And you get a salad. That's the difference.
6: What's the level of uh, anger here? What am, I, what am I dealing with?
1: Well, I'd say at least an 8.7. 8.7? Eight, mm-hmm.
6: That's not that bad. No. I thought it'd be like a 9. 8.7.
1: Yeah, no, that, it was. It was up higher. Yeah, and then you broke that lamp, and uh, that crazy woman screamed at you, <laughs> and it got you some pity points.
6: Pity points? Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. I love pity points. Yeah. So how do I get to a 7? Any way to get to a 7? I not know. I know I can't get to a 6. That's out of the question. But a 7, we could have a very decent ride home with a 7. <laughs> you think so? Yes, I do. And I'll tell you what. If we ride home as a 7, as soon as we get home, you can go right back to an 8. All right. It's a deal. It's a deal?
1: Yeah. As long as I can go back. <laughs>
7: Beautiful. Come on. We'll go home. <laughs>
3: That's the funny part about Curb Your Enthusiasm is the irreverence of it.
1: Why did you tell Wanda she has a big ass? I didn't
6: tell Wanda she she had had a big
1: ass. She just called me and told me.
6: I didn't say she had a big ass, okay? I yelled out the window and I said I'd know that tush anywhere. That's all I said.
1: Why would you do that? Why would you even comment about her, her ass? Why? What's because the big deal? Because you might as well deal? just go call out and say, hey, you've got a really big ass. It's the same thing. Uh, it was just a friendly th- remark,
6: that's all. That's a friendly remark? Yeah, I was just being nice. I was being nice and chummy.
1: You don't yell, uh, comment about a woman's ass. There's, there's only one way to take it. No,
6: no. If she had a small ass, I could have said i know that tush anywhere.
1: So what? You shouldn't. You shouldn't say anything at all. You know, you just shouldn't talk anyway, about... Anyway,
6: why? What's the big deal? What if I did say she has a big ass? So what? That's not so terrible. What's the matter with a big ass? I like big asses. There's no problem.
1: <laughs> you like big asses?
6: I don't mind a big ass. I mean, no, that's hey, that enough, that not is necessarily no, big... No, this
1: is interesting. No, what? You love big asses? No,
6: I don't love big asses. How big do you like them? I like them just the regular, I like them just like yours, okay? Because mine
1: is really big. No, and I it's like not them big. really
6: big. It's not, it's uh, it's good that's size. You
1: just said, you just said I love big no, asses and no. I like yours. I
6: said I don't mind them. I like your, yeah, I like it, you know.
1: I uh, yeah. See, there are huh? a lot of things about you I don't know. No, there's nothing
6: about no, you. you don't don't know finding, you're not You are Don't say I, have, I don't have an ass fetish. No, don't. no,
1: this is very kinky. It's like no, all there's this nothing stuff is kinky. unfolding now. Nothing's which unfolding. Which is interesting. After years together, I'm just finding out. What are like, you crazy? All these no, sexual that's things so you. untrue. Have
2: no, don't, idea. no, I'm not
6: a deviant.
1: I didn't say deviant.
0: There's some other, uh, there's a bomb threat that they him and his wife hear about and she has an event happening that week in town so she can't leave and he has the delicate discussion of maybe he could leave and go golfing somewhere why should they both perish (laughs) and uh uh, he compliments another man on the size of his kid's penis (laughs) then when the his wife is upset because the guy gets upset she asks him why would you do that larry and he says i took a risk (laughs) (laughs) Fix up a prostitute just to take the carpool lane. That's oh, yeah, that's a awesome. great comedic concept. Oh, yeah. uh, the Survivor episode where he has a dinner party with a Holocaust survivor and a guy that was on the show Survivor.
5: That's a very interesting story. Let me tell you, I was in a concentration camp. You never even suffered one minute in your life compared to what I went through. Look, I'm saying, I'm saying, we spent forty two days trying to survive. We had very little rations, no snacks, snacks. What are you talking, snacks? We didn't eat, sometimes for a week, for a month. No. We ate nothing. I went from a I mean, I couldn't right. even work out when I was over there. They certainly didn't have a gym. What? I mean, I wore what my you... sneakers out, and then the next thing you know, I've got a pair of flip-flops. Flip-flops? We slip on the ground, on the dirt, OK? Yeah. 118 degrees during the day, 98 at night, with 98% humidity. 45 degrees below zero. Did you guys have a bathroom? A bathroom? No, we didn't have we one. We had 12 people at a time would go and shit. Well, I'm sure you had toilet paper. We newspaper we had mosquitoes absolutely mosquito. you see this glass eye huh, huh? Well, have you even seen the show did she, you she, she she ever was. see our show it was called the Holocaust look That's all it. I know is I was damn close to that million dollars all right and the whole time everyone's backstabbing me and undermining me trying to get me kicked off the show you so don't, don't have to about survival I'm a survivor I'm a
4: survivor i'm a survivor I'm a survivor, I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor.
0: I love J.B. Smoove. So good. Leon is such a funny character. This makes me laugh so hard.
1: Hey! Uh,
5: Come on. What's up? Turnstiles. It's too loud.
1: What's it's too loud. too loud. I hear it on the street. No, wait
5: a minute. I'll turn this shit down, okay? Yeah. What are you doing? Ah, uh, you okay? Yeah, what are you doing? I'm fucking lamping. What you doing? You Lamping? Chilling.
6: Relaxing. Why'd hey, you change back. from chillin'? What was wrong with chillin'? You gotta get another one?
5: Lamping? Lampin', I can sit around here with some fucking boxes on, a tank top, my feet the fuck up. And chillin' is what? You gotta be in Just, real clothes? You gonna walk around and chill.
6: You know, oh. you, you
5: upright. You chillin' upright. You
6: guys got some great slang. <laughs> I gotta say. What the fuck
5: you got? We got Boss. <laughs> That's a Boss shirt. Oh, man. Huh? You can keep that Boss shit. Keep that <laughs> Boss shit. <isn't,
6: laughs> boss isn't happening, is
5: it? Huh? Hey, I wouldn't even say that shit by mistake.
6: Yeah. Get this! My assistant, Mm -hmm. okay, doesn't come to work for two days. You know why? You know what she tells me? What? She was constipated. Who doesn't come to work because they're constipated? (laughs) Have you ever heard of that? Fuck no. Come on,
5: man. Ridiculous. Come on, I shot a porno constipated. I ran a 5K marathon constipated. Shit, man. Come on. I was in a hot dog eating contest. Uh, uh, Constipated. Hold, hold, hold.
0: hold
6: hold
5: You shot a porno? Seriously? Seriously. And a hot dog eating contest. constipated. and I still fucking won. That's not a fucking excuse. You cannot let this bitch use constipation as something to lean on. You got to fire that bitch.
6: Yeah, well, that's easier said than done. It's, you know, she's got a. She's got a limp and a cane. I feel sorry for her. and <laughs> I, I can't, I can't do it. And by the way, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Okay, <laughs> what the fuck else could it be? I'm not at liberty to to say, I can't say. What is it? I don't, I don't want to say it. I don't want to talk
5: about you it. You fucking walked all the way the fuck over here. And yeah, disturbed me from fucking lamping. And you ain't gonna fucking tell me what the fuck it is. I, I, I can't say tell me what the fuck going on.
6: <sighs> Let's just say our uncle fucked her. Recently, no, no years ago. Oh shit, man. You see, you see the dilemma that I have between the limp and the cane and the uncle. Ah, uh, you get just unfireable. God damn it, man. You can't fucking fire yeah, huh? fire. I know. And the thing about it is that. She was so highly recommended. She used to work for Jimmy Kimmel, and, and he, he recommended her to me. He said she was great, and she's awful. Well, why would he recommend her? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck happened. He foisted
5: you, man. Fucking Jimmy Kimmel foisted that bitch on you. What do you mean? He couldn't fire her either, so he passed the ass on to you. Don't you ever allow yourself to get foisted. You understand? That fucking limpy-ass girl... I got foisted. The only way to resolve this huh. shit you your fucking mind and you think of somebody you can unload this limpy bitch onto, you have to get rid of this bitch. You know what? Every
6: now and then. <laughs> every now and then you come on, yay, baby. Come on man. I gotta say, you surprised Woo! me. Boom! Boom! Is that still workable, the the fist bump? Is that still if people still doing that? Huh? Yeah. Will you let me know when that goes out of fashion? When that
5: shit stops, I'll let you know.
6: And if you see me doing anything else <laughs> that the black community might frown upon as being uncool? Mm. You're going to
5: let me know, I'll right? stop your ass. Okay. You know, I will. <laughs> I'll go upstairs and start
0: laughing. There's one that, uh, man, I'm so proud. It's one of the proudest things that I've ever thought of or done is the Michael J. Fox storyline where Michael J. Fox has Parkinson's. And so he, he cans Larry a soda and it's all shaken up and he blames it on the Parkinson's. I had that idea years before the episode came out because when I was used to, stand up there and uh, as a preacher there was this old lady that had parkinson's and she'd always shake her head no while i was talking and i always felt like she was exaggerating the parkinson's and <laughs> uh, on purpose so when that show came out i was like that was a, that was a big deal for me to think wow like he came up with the same concept that he did <laughs> When you talk about like it's inappropriate, and I think this reminds us me of us, and like of us when we're talking, probably more even off the air when we were younger. There's conversations that you can have with your friends that you never experience or see otherwise in life, and the way you talk to them. And so he called his friend Jeff. And Jeff had him on speakerphone in the car and Larry's talking about his wife and he calls her Hitler as a joke. And then you hear Jeff's family that is listening on speaker in the car and they're <laughs> Jewish and Jeff's parents. And they're all like, they get all offended and everything. And, and Larry has to apologize to him about how horrible it was to call his wife Hitler. And, and then the Jeff's mom said, and you think that, that, that Jeff is someone that would like to hear that kind of joking. And Jeff's like, no, I was going to correct him. I was going to tell him not to say that, but of course he wasn't, but that's just how you talk. A lot like in real life,
3: it's very much about real life situations, things that could happen to anyone. Yeah, that's what I appreciate about it is because your typical sitcom show is so like just hackneyed and predictable and safe, right? That's, that especially today when it, everything is very PC and everyone's afraid of offending everyone. To me, humor sometimes offends people. I can tell you this because I've seen Norm MacDonald a few times.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen
3: him empty a building. But <laughs> it's, it's the risk taking is, is almost makes it funnier. It's like an amplifier for it. Is if, yeah. you, if you knew they took a risk.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate it when I see a risk being taken. Something different kind of like perk up i'm like oh that's that's different they're doing an interesting take on this
3: it's great for a guy like him to achieve a certain level of success because then you're just
0: free well they always talk about how much money he has or made um he got divorced so he got split in half but at one point he was worth like 900 million they said but i think he was that way before like he the famously told and they based a seinfeld episode off of it that, that tell nbc studios like this is the show and if you're changing it i'm walking you know, and he was a nobody and he didn't care. He said, like, I never, I didn't really ever care about money. I cared about being a good comedian. I think that's kind of the way he's lived his life. He happened to luck out. There's like a hundred million other guys exactly like him. Yes. And he's the only one that it worked out for to right. live that way. He's got some quotes here. I wrote down to that. I love it. says when I was living in New York and didn't have a penny to my name, I would walk around the streets and occasionally I would see an alcove or something. And I think that'll, that'll be good. That'll be a good spot for me when I'm homeless. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Uh, oh, I like that quote. Yeah. He, he was sitting on, in curb with his wife, and they were sitting on the porch, and he goes, hear the birds? He can hear the birds. And he goes, sometimes I like to pretend that I'm deaf, and I try to imagine what it's like to not be able to hear them. It's not that bad. He says, I still think of that guy I was without a wife or kids, and I still want to entertain that guy, the lonely guy, the frustrated guy, the guy with no money. That's the guy who needs to laugh. This one I liked, uh, if you tell the truth about how you're feeling, it becomes funny.
2: Just one other funny thing too, was his, uh, recurring character on Saturday Night Live as Bernie Sanders.
6: I'm the only candidate up here who's not a billionaire. I don't have a super pack. I don't even have a backpack. I carry my stuff around loose in my arms like a professor. You know, between classes. I own one pair of underwear. That's it. Some of these billionaires, they got three, four pairs. And I don't have a dryer. I have to put my clothes on the radiator. So who do you want as president? One of these Washington insiders? Or a guy who has one pair of clean underwear that he drives on a radiator.
2: Uh, he was being interviewed on one of the late night shows. And he said, you know, if Sanders gets elected as he thinks it's going to be great for the country, but horrible for him personally. <laughs> so just perfect Larry David. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's how he feels. It's all about him.
0: Yeah, there's a funny story he said when he he first got fridays he went out and bought a uh, fiat convertible and he pulled it off of the lot and he's driving and he goes up to a light and someone in the next car says hey your show stinks and he goes i put up the top and it never
2: came down again (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Think Funny Podcast. For my uh, co-hosts, Aaron Donnelly and Nate Sadler, this is Matt Donnelly. Thank you for listening again, and uh, please check us out on Twitter at ThinkFunnyPodC1. Uh, a lot of original content. Nate's working overtime, so please check that out. Working overtime, workout. <laughs> they call you the working <laughs> man. We're the working man. Yeah. You want
6: to see how inept. That- I, I really am. I want to see in action. <laughs> you want to, do you
5: want to go, see go, this? Yeah, go go. make a move. Show me. Just practice. I'll watch. Go ahead. Hey, now you're here. And
0: now I know just where I'm going.
6: No more... Do you like karaoke?
1: <laughs> yeah.
6: It's good, you know? Something to do at night. There's nothing to do at night. What can you do at night? Bowling, movies. It's like a third thing to do after bowling in the movies. I don't know if you bowl or not. I don't go that often. But it's fun. It's fun. You can't find a ball. That's the problem. I don't know. Maybe you own a bowling ball. I don't own a bowling ball. My whole life, every time I'm in a bowling alley, sticking my fingers in all these holes, picking up the balls. You got to get your own ball. I don't bowl enough, I think, to get my own ball. It takes up a lot of space in the house. You keep looking at it in the closet going, what am I doing with a bowling ball? I don't even bowl. You know what I mean? So you'd want to get rid of the ball. How do you get rid of a bowling ball? Think about that. Who do you give a bowling ball to? Nobody bowls. The thing, It only fits your fingers. You throw a bowling ball in the garbage can, you know what that sanitation man's going to do? He's gonna knock on your door. That's how upset he's gonna be. He's gonna say, who the fuck for a bowling ball in the garbage can? Okay. All right. I'm around town.
4: How'd it go?
1: Thanks for listening to Think Funny. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and tell a friend. If you have comments or topics for the guys, you can email them at thinkfunnypodcast at gmail.com. And check out erondonley.com for today's show notes and much more.